0: Hi, this is Jason Pearl, Senior Vice President and Chief Business Development Officer for the San Francisco Giants, and this is One on One with ADC Partners.
1: Hi, this is Dave Almy of ADC Partners, and thanks so much for listening to this podcast. This episode is actually kind of momentous for a couple of reasons. First, it features an in-depth conversation with longtime friend and colleague Jason Pearl, the chief business development officer of the San Francisco Giants. Jason's been involved with developing partnerships for the team for 30 years. 30 years! Suffice it to say, he's forgotten more about creating successful partnerships than most people will learn in their lifetimes. We discuss the evolution of corporate partnerships, why they are more important now than ever, the importance of curiosity in his job, and so, so much more. This episode is also momentous because it's the first one I've done live since the beginning of the pandemic. Can't even begin to tell you how nice it was to head into San Francisco on a gorgeous summer day, walk through the doors of one of baseball's most beautiful ballparks, and talk to my friend Jason. Hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed recording. We've known each other a long time. I mean, we go back to your days when you were at Candlestick Park. And I mean, one of the best offices probably in the history of sports is in Candlestick Park. I know you have fond memories of that. But I I remember when we first met, like this ballpark that we're currently sitting in right now was still considered kind of controversial right? There was like, oh, we can't have a downtown ballpark. It changed the character of the city and traffic. And, you know, you, it was it was this really long extended period of time where we wasn't even sure that this was going to be built. And so you look at it now, and it's such a fixture of the city that it's almost hard to imagine what San Francisco would be like without it. I'm wondering if you could just talk a little bit about that for a minute, like what this ballpark actually means to San Francisco, what it means to the team to be
0: downtown and how people have engaged with it over the years. No, like. I mean it's a, a, a great point, and hard for me to not have a, a, a pretty biased perspective on what it means to the city of San Francisco <laughs> it's and everything. what it took to get it done. Yeah. And I appreciate you, you know, looking back at when we first met and started talking about this, and it was controversial and also sort of a pipe dream in terms of how it was going to get financed and built. So the because there were, what,
1: like 10 iterations of a downtown ballpark about where it was going to go? Five ballot
0: measures that were shot down. So, I mean, if you want to go all the way back, that's what led or to here. the we Or here, we might as well. We'll just, just dive back into the, the depths of the well. So the, the, the story is, I mean, the the owner, the previous owner of the Giants, Bob Lurie, tried five times to get a ballpark built. Yep. Four times in San Francisco and one time in San Jose. And um, San Jose. the most recent one was right before the earthquake. Yep. The ballot measure was November, the earthquake happened in October, of course, an earthquake happens and the huge damage that was done to the city and the infrastructure, no one has the appetite to spend public money to build a ballpark. So that got shut down. And barely got shut down. Um, well, even at that point in time? Even at that point. It barely, I mean, barely failed. So you're clear there's appetite. There's appetite yeah. to keep the Giants, the, because it yeah, really yeah. was the classic, keep the team in San Francisco, and what the Giants mean to San Francisco, and you think, God, if the Giants had left. Yeah. Like, that's that's the real story, Dave, not, not necessarily what would happen if we were still playing in San Francisco and not here in a downtown ballpark, but what if the Giants left, and they they were ready they to be, were almost Tampa Bay, right? Well, it sort of gets into how I got involved, so okay. that was 1992, Ooh. when Bob Lurie sold the team to a group out of Tampa. Right. And when Larry Bear and Peter McGowan got together, and said, "We can't let this happen," and so they got a group of civic-minded business leaders in San Francisco and sort of the who's who of San Francisco um, icons, you know, from Charles yeah, I Schwab. When, I remember when they called me. Um, you were on the B list. I'm not sure I was even on the B list. <laughs> no, no, you were not on the B list. I was trying to be kind. But Thank you. you appreciate that. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> anyway, they they. Uh, they got a group together to raise enough money and appeal to Major League Baseball to overturn the sale mm. with a commitment to build a facility. So that was the the hinge. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was the hinge. Figuring out how to do it. Right. Uh, so that was nineteen ninety three. And I joined the Giants the same time. with the new ownership.
1: So you're coming up on I don't I don't you know, I'm not a math guy, you know, like you are, but that's closing in on uh, closing in on 30 years.
0: This is my 30th season.
1: This is your 30th baseball season with the San Francisco Giants. Yeah. You started at Candlestick with the howling winds, the middle of nowhere, and you now walk to work in one of the ballparks that's considered the crown jewels of Major League Baseball. Does it ever get old? You ever walk around this kind of forget where you are or is it still a moment of this is pretty cool?
0: The honest truth is yeah, it gets old. I mean, yeah. you know, this is 30 years of doing anything. It, it, it honestly will get, there's, there's some repetition in whatever you're doing, but I remind myself constantly what a great life, career, opportunity, experience yeah. every day. All right, And, and I'm looking at the window right now at our, at our ballpark and we've got a, a day game today and seeing people come down here and seeing boats starting to show up in Covey Cove. And
1: well, the other thing we're doing is I'm looking out the same window is I'm seeing a lot of construction cranes, mm. right? And when this ballpark, ballpark, ballpark first landed, there was nothing down there. There was nothing anywhere. There was nothing. And now it's probably one of the most vibrant pieces of the city. Obviously, the Giants are going to take all the credit for that. But it's sort of interesting to see how when everybody talks about urban development yeah. and whether or not stadiums represent the way that public money should be spent. I mean, you kind of look out the window here and go, well, it's probably not the whole reason But it had to have played an A role.
0: Our argument all along: we wanted to build this facility, and sort of we we sort of jumped over sort of how this got passed by the city of San Francisco. There was no public money that was invested in building this ballpark. This is all privately financed. So forgot about that. It's a bit of a layup for the city of San Francisco, for the community to to support what we were doing here, and that was the big difference. Like all the other ballot measures, had most, if not all of the dollars required coming yeah. from public subsidies. Um, and your question, I mean, sort of getting back around to our We're covering a lot of ground. Yeah, we're covering a lot of ground here. But bu- <laughs> building sports facilities in cities, is that worth public money? And I would say there's, there's, there's never a sort of black and white answer to that. It's filled with all sorts of nuance and sort of where it's going to be built, how it's going to be built, what it's going to mean to the community. And every market's a little different. Every market's going to be completely different. And here, what this meant in terms of the southern, the southeastern tip of San Francisco, which was empty warehouses and parking lots, um, our argument all along was this was going to be an anchor that was going to help revitalize the community, and that's what's yep. happened. And look, you can argue that, the, that building this ballpark was the sole reason it wasn't i mean the city has expanded dramatically um, in 20 years since this ballpark was built and this area was ripe for redevelopment but having this here was a destination it's for a significant people. anchor yeah. associated with no that. Doubt, no no yeah, yeah.
1: and i forget too and thank you for bringing it up I, I had forgotten because i'm just frankly not that smart a guy that this was a privately financed ballpark there was a period of time when the giants weren't so popular amongst the other owners because he successfully managed to do this whole thing with private money. And that is certainly not the case with the majority of sports teams today who are very much in the pocket of, or trying to get their hands into the pocket of public offers.
0: I don't think there's been one built that's entirely private since this. I'm hard, like I said, I'm not a smart
1: man, but I'm being hard pressed to think of one as either.
0: Well, we should follow up on that because I'm curious myself, I don't, don't, I'm not aware of, of, of any that have been built. I think there's now pressure on um, teams to put their own money into the, the facility, and Levi's had their money in there as well, as public money in it as well. Yep. Um, Chase, Chase is all private.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, the Warriors place. Yeah. Well, yeah, but they also had the creative financing with the seat licenses and everything like that. Too. Well, that's so what so we yeah. did
0: too. I mean, that's the model. Yeah. So it can happen, and, and frankly, timing the economy is the only way it, it kind of works. Dinner. And that's how it worked here. And I know you had a question about, you're going to ask me because I, I can see these things can see about. <laughs> God, you know me so well. Yeah. It's it's, it's <laughs> embarrassing. I'm just a blank sheet before you. Well, it's just fairly obvious. <laughs> and we're going to play poker later on. Um, the tell of, but your question about the dot com boom. Yeah. And that's kind of was the. Yeah, coincided. The, the tailwind we, we, we had going into building this, which both affected. Selling seat licenses, and we took a different approach to selling seat licenses. Another had, had done before us. We can get into that separately. But getting the corporate a support. We have cover, man. This, yeah. Do
1: we have enough time? Can we do a nine-hour podcast? Well, this is, is that a I, thought, I thought this was a series. <laughs> Volumes <laughs> volume six and seven, Dropping Soon. Yes. Now, you brought up earlier, it's a little bit ago, hey, this is your 30th season. Yeah. Now, that's not common with most professional sports franchise. A lot of people come and go, turnover, heading to opportunities and things like that. But here's the thing about the Giants, right? You're not the exception with this. Like, right? there is a group of people he, that have been here for long periods of time. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, we, you brought up, you know, Larry Bear, but Brian Srabian, Shane Adam, Russ Stanley, Brian Srabian, Mario Aliotto. These are all people who have all been here more than 20 years with A single team. I mean, speaking of things, I can't—you can't think of public finance and going into other states. I can't think of any front office that has had that level of stability in the executive ranks ever. So, like, what makes this place so clearly special to work for? What what brings that stability? What's the secret sauce?
0: Well, I don't—I don't know, Dave. There's secret sauce. I mean, again, I'm certainly proud of my tenure with the Giants, Um, and while I am you know, 30 years is a lot. There's, I'm going to say, a half a dozen current employees who are have been here longer than than, than me, and, yeah. and as you mentioned, several who have been in the, in the same vein. Um, I think it starts with a stable owner, yeah. and a stable ownership group. So there are franchises that have a similar situation that have had the same owner or ownership group for a long time. Um, and then leadership. I mean, I think I can't say enough about Larry's obviously skill as a a leader of an organization, but um, his ability to create opportunity for people um, and to inspire collaboration, um, I think has kept a lot of us together. I mean, I think it's been a, and and good people, obviously. You you don't stick around unless you're working with good, smart, talented people. It is pretty outstanding how many of us have been, and, and we're having some transitions now, so we're, you know, a mature organization, let's put it that way, that needs to continue to evolve to to face the challenges of what's coming next. And I think we're all, those of us who've been around for a long time, have to keep reminding ourselves that we have to think differently, too.
1: You know, I've had the benefit of being able to work with you and just know you for a long time. But we've also, you know, with my business partner, Andy, and I, you know, we've had a chance to work with some of those other folks that I just read off. And I mean, this is also important to recognize that these are not just fill-in-the-gap people. This is These are people who are really exceptional at what they do that were drawn to an organization that was clearly trying to do special things, whether it's building the stadium or constructing the team. So I guess there's a point where you can say excellence draws excellence in that regard. People are drawn to that, and the results kind of speak for themselves. I mean, this is, like we talked about at the top of our conversation, the Giants are one of the leading shining stars for Major League Baseball and I'm assuming the front office and that stability
0: and that excellence is part of that part of that equation for them. Yeah I, I'd like to think so but again no one no one sort of looks at that and says okay we, we're good. It's a get pushing towards more and more innovation and opportunity and challenges and you know and I mentioned Larry and his ability to create opportunity. I mean you think about what we've accomplished at this ballpark and you think about the things that we're all able to touch base on, so we're not sort of stuck in our silos of what we do day in and day out, but we get to look at new opportunities, and um, I know your vast number of listeners can't see what we're looking at. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Mom. Hi, all me kids. Um, (laughs) But across the channel here, we're looking at Mission Rock, which is a development that we are doing in partnership with Tishman Spire in the city of San Francisco, and a number of us have had the opportunity to learn a ton about urban development and building a neighborhood and um, thinking about things differently. So that creates opportunities. So. But this
1: also kind of goes back to the idea of private funding, too, right? That puts a much more aggressive business case for the team heading out of the gate. If you pri- privately finance your ballpark and you have to pay the debt load and all the things that go like that, you have to be creative. Mm-hmm. You have to be constantly seeking new revenue opportunities versus... Hey, we've got all this public money or skating, whatever kind of standpoint. Does that play into you think of the culture of the team?
0: A hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. So
1: innovation is something that we constantly have to look for.
0: Yeah. Okay. And and new revenue streams. Yeah.
1: Well, let's talk about that for a minute because you're in charge of a, reven- a pretty significant revenue stream associated with the Giants, and that started with part- I think started with partnerships where you- when you were back all the way back at Candlestick, and it's really grown to be a pretty immense portfolio. That you have at the Giants, right? But I want to really focus in on partnerships because that's a big, still big part. Mm-hmm. If not, I don't know, is it all of what you do right now or has, has your role expanded to include other revenue
0: as well? No, it includes other, other revenue okay. streams as well. So it's sort of my, my scope is looking at, I would say, non traditional revenue opportunities um, and then media revenue okay. related media opportunities. Um, Mission Rock and and sort of ancillary revenue associated with our development. Um, But things like, you know, overseeing our our youth camp program, our fantasy camp program, our Hispanic outreach program, um, licensing programs, those sort of fall under my area.
1: But I'm interested in partnerships for a reason. First of all, because, you know, you and I have worked on partnerships Mm -hmm. in the past. And, you know, when you have a 30-year window to look back on, you've seen, and you talked about it a little bit earlier you know, the boom cycle of the first dot-com wave, right, that came through and helped fund the ballpark. That's followed by a pretty significant bust, right? And then you have new booms coming in with another technology piece associated with that. Can you talk a little bit about, as you've evolved and you've come to understand how you approach this business, what are those approaches and philosophies with business development and creating sound partnerships that have sort of been a common thread throughout that sort of elevated and depressed economic cycles? that go along with that? Like what, what's the, what are those common themes that you think back and it's like well, these have served me well?
0: Um, as usual, Dave, you ask a question that covers a whole...
1: But I expect of... you to synopsize this, because we're running out of time, so give me like a, a haiku of your philosophy. <laughs> a haiku. God.
0: <laughs> Look, I, I, it starts and ends with people and relationships. I mean, yep. We're in a relationship business, so you know, I think my philosophy is pretty basic, which is treat people with respect. Um, that's just crazy <laughs> yeah I know can you believe that and and, and you know like these, it's cliche listen to people understand what their objectives are hear them out when there are problems solve the problems and um, always strive to over deliver and look our, the, we've had tremendous success right. here with building partnerships long-standing partnerships and similar to how you described the tenure of the executive team here I'm super proud of the tenure of our family of partners. I mean, you, I could name, you know, a dozen right now partners who've been with us for 20 plus years. And I think that happens because we do our very best to deliver upon our promises and then face challenges directly. I mean, COVID is probably a great example. I mean, we, no one could do anything about what was happening with the pandemic. We didn't have baseball games. We approached our clients, we were, I think, generous in our approach that, hey, look, if this doesn't work, we will do whatever it takes to make sure you're happy. Yep. And to the majority of our partners, we're like, we're with you through thick and thin, and um, we'll get through this.
1: Is that like a, is that just, is it communication? How do you establish that rapport with these folks, right? But I mean, if you have a client that's been around for 20 years, clearly, I mean, you know the people as about as well as a client that you as you possibly can, right? You know, That's where they make that transition from being, a client to, you know, let's go out to lunch. Just friend, you're, they're friends. Yeah, yeah, it's like the best best part of this business is yeah. those kind of evolutions. With new clients, so when you're trying to establish that rapport, how do you go about doing that? Right, because businesses come in and out of this market uh, fast. Yeah, how do you? I mean, what's how do, have you found
0: success in that regard? I think you, you hit it in your initial statement, which is communication is key. Like people need to hear from you, whether you have an answer, whether you. Um, can resolve the problem right away, they need to be heard, yeah. And um, we need to be proactive in reaching out. So, I mean, I nothing, no one does this perfectly. And, and we, we sought feedback from long standing partners as well as new partners as to well what we can do better um, throughout the last few years and the challenges that we all faced, yeah. But we were sending out communication regularly, we're picking up the phone and talking to people and trying to really face the, those challenges. In the same token. The Giants weren't that different from other organizations industries in terms of challenges with staffing and morale. Yeah. I mean, this has been difficult for everybody, so we were trying to do all this with a skeleton crew in many ways. Have,
1: have sponsors' expectations changed dramatically when you think back to how this started? Right, Obviously everything digital has come in. That, it's kind of funny to think about, right? There, yeah. there was, you know, we were dialing up on uh, on AOL when you when you started. I, was there even an AOL? I can't even
0: remember. I think maybe one of the first deals we did, we, I, I want to say you were associated with this because it feels like you should have been, but CompuServe. It <laughs> feels like something you would have done. There
1: are a bunch of people, yeah. well, both my kids who are listening to this right now are scratching their head and saying, what the expletive is a CompuServe. But it's remarkable to think that that, started as this sort of like, is this ever going to catch on, and is now like the dominant form of how companies are doing their marketing right now. So when you think back about what expectations have come with partnerships, what's changed dramatically, and how have the Giants responded to some of those changes?
0: Forget the specific entitlements and assets and activations, yeah, yeah. I think what has changed is the business of sports marketing and sports sponsorships has grown so dramatically and has become a bigger part of marketing budgets mm. for most consumer-facing and also B two B-facing companies. Mm-hmm. It's something that, for a long time, was totally a discretionary spend. Yeah, we needed some tickets. Yeah, suites great. Yeah, and we like to see our sign. That's really cool. Right. Owner loves the Giants. Yeah, loves so the Giants. And and there were consumer brands. I mean, mm-hmm. you think about Coca-Cola and Budweiser yeah. and you know Chevron's and yeah. AT and T's back in the day. Like, yes, branding, branding, branding. Um, the difference now is because there's so much invested in the relationship that data and measurable tools are hugely important in yeah. what we do. So back in the day, it was like, okay, thanks for your sponsorship. We'll take it out to lunch, shake your hand at the end Here's of the sign for the exactly. To <laughs> so now, we are sending out reports on a regular basis okay. about um, ratings information, Nielsen information. You know, covering the value of signage. We're doing Recaps of events to make sure that those who are investing in this partnership have the data to share with their teams So give them the tools to be able to do the reporting that they have to yeah yeah, yeah. Have to right because they want to
1: make sure that they're because of the dollars involved So it it kind of brings up an interesting question too. I'm interested in your perspective on this Your point is there's so many more dollars being invested. This is a bigger slice of marketing pies Than it has been in the past. Do you have a sense of why that is? Why are why is partnerships and sponsorships? becoming more important to, to companies as they look to, to build bridges to consumers or, or other businesses.
0: Well, I, I, mean, I have an opinion on this, but the amount of opportunities, the number of opportunities to, um, to advertise and market has become so vast, especially with the creation of so many digital assets. Mm-hmm. How do you stand out? Yep. How do you attach yourself to something that has meaning to your customers? And so I think sports sponsorships and live entertainment mm-hmm. still not only still but are unique and their ability to deliver that value measurable value and stand out differently than other marketing and mass media yeah okay if that makes sense it
1: makes total sense right as mass media it seems like attention is falling like like linear TV which you know we used to just call TV yeah yeah um, had its moment in the sun. And people's attention is so scattered all over so many different forms of media that they can consume on a day in day out basis that yeah. there's value in partnering with something that makes people go, oh, it's the Giants. Yeah. You know, They look over there because they're naturally inclined to do so. It's something they're passionate about. And I think you know we talk about passion and the importance associated with partnerships and with the role that it plays there. But it's ever more vital now, too, because it really does kind of grab someone by the chin and, and make them look over there. And that's really what this is all about, is capturing attention. So I, I appreciate what you're saying about um, the importance that this plays and the, and the greater slice that it plays inside a marketing department and, and the interest.
0: Yeah, it. and a couple of things I would just touch upon. One is um, people's ability to consume content in so many different ways. The last bastion for must watch live is mm-hmm. sports. Yeah. Um, so that becoming more and more important when it comes to just straight branding opportunities. Sports um, business podcasts really high on that as well. It's coming. Yeah, build, <laughs> the build, build, wave is building. Build, you can feel build it. Gather. That audience, yes. <laughs> is this being sponsored by anybody? But I gotta
1: make sure that uh, we the don't San Francisco have... Giants. Thank you, by the way, to the San Francisco Giants for <laughs> underwriting this entire cost
0: of this podcast. <laughs> our pleasure. Um, <laughs> the other, the other thing I was gonna point to is our ability to provide integrated packages and opportunities for clients, um, mostly turnkey. So if you're thinking about how do I create a, a package of opportunities that can include traditional marketing benefits like branding and, and media along with a community outreach program along with crafted experiences and hospitality yeah. and engagement opportunities in one place that's kind of what we have to offer that's different from other advertising flexibility yeah
1: right we can you can you can shift and move to a variety of different channels depending on the need of the client and yeah. uh, we talk about this quite a lot like the benefit associated with this is if look something's not working pivot we can shift yep. we can pivot what's going to work right mm-hmm. and that's not something a lot of other channels media channels otherwise can, can claim. Yeah. So there's a lot of benefit associated with that. Um, you know, we're kind of in an interesting boom right now, although the boom is kind of slackening a little bit, I think it's fair to say. You saw the dot-com boom come and go, with web 1.0 in the, in the late 90s, early aughts, so and now we're in this kind of crypto, currency, NFTs, what had been a boom, I think some of the, the boom is off that rose right now, at least a little bit, I'm interested in whether you see echoes of what you saw in the past with dot-coms, or is this category set up to weather the storm a little better? <laughs> so just predict the outcome for <laughs> cryptocurrency. That's all I'm asking oh, I,
0: you to I, do. I, no problem. I got this. <laughs> I, it's a fair question, though, in the sense of, you know, the similarities in I'm sure the dot-com boom and the questioning of how sustainable is this? Are these companies real? They have no... Yeah. Real revenue stream. Because I'm
1: old enough to remember man.com, right? The man.com fascia panel right behind Home Plate. I know that's one of the ones in Hall of Fame type stuff.
0: Well, you do know the story about the man.com. I'm All right, right let's take a
1: quick do. Let's do the sidebar right now. Man.com.
0: Well, so <laughs> someone <laughs> brought this opportunity to us, and, and it was relayed to me that this was um, themen.com. And I was, what is themen.com? And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was explained. No, it's the man, theman.com, <laughs> but it was, the creative looked like theman.com. I didn't know what it was. Um, ah, <laughs> oh, theman. Anyway, th- there are a lot of those businesses. So, look, our job is to try to do our best to understand the business, but also to, if, if, if people have money and it's a respectable business, to help them create that brand that hopefully leads to their success. Right, They're coming
1: you with a problem that they're trying to solve, yeah. and I think that crypto and nFTs like the market that you people, that, that sports teams like the giants deliver is, is pretty spot on so yeah.
0: it's just a, it's a matter of picking the trying to pick the right horse yep or horses so that one we're associating ourselves with those who are doing going about their business the right way yeah, as best as possible And this is an unknown space. And your question about is cryptocurrency or is the blockchain going to survive, I don't know. But I wouldn't bet against it given all the people who are investing a gazillion dollars in, in the industry. There is certainly enough
1: financial backing behind this yeah. and interest in seeing it through. And you know, I suspect that maybe there's going to be ebbs and flows just like there is... For the other businesses, you can
0: talk. I mean, look, you can talk about lots of different businesses, and you can talk about um, ride-sharing businesses, Uber and Lyft, and where they are these days Mm -hmm. versus where we're going with autonomous vehicles. You can talk about, you know, companies that are ahead of their time. I mean,
1: but this is also one of the unique qualities of working for the giants, too. I mean, you're in San Francisco. A lot of these technologies live, mature, and die in San Francisco. Is it an interesting part of your job? I mean, people coming to you it's and amazing. explaining what the hell they're trying to do, mm-hmm. and you get to kind of sit there. and go, This is either a super cool or what the you know what the heck is theming?
0: Um, yes, and yes, and yes. Yeah. I mean, all this stuff is so super cool to see where sort of the future in front of you, um, and trying to understand like you know certainly lots of times you go this this will never work. That's <laughs> crazy, and you can even put Uber like I'm not getting to someone else's car and going for a ride. That's that it'll that's never work. That's ludicrous. <laughs> <laughs> to you know, I was going to mention Webvan. Yeah, I mean, Webvan was a huge partner huge of ours when we opened this ballpark. And you look at where delivery services are today and go, "Wait, Webvan was way ahead of their time. They yeah. just it Let's was truly ahead of, their time. ahead of their time, and they couldn't they couldn't stem the tide of getting consumers to appreciate what they were trying to build." We talk a lot about the importance of curiosity
1: in this business. Um, And I suspect it's particularly true here, right, because there are so many new businesses coming to you and saying, hey, we think the Giants is a great opportunity to associate with this, plus the outbound looking that you're always doing. Can you talk about the role of curiosity for yourself in looking for new business opportunities and what you
0: do to stay on top of different trends and things like that? You can't be successful in what we're doing unless you are curious about both how traditional businesses are looking to evolve and change and what their objectives are I mean that's one of the best things about my job is I just talk about this to a lot of people, which is my day is filled with meetings with companies from who are focused on all different things, so it never gets boring right you know whether I'm talking to Ghirardelli about the next hot fudge Sunday that they're about to launch and what we can do to support that, I'm excited you should be because it's going to be right up your alley okay um, to you know, Oracle and what they're trying to do to address significant technology challenges. And all over the map from, you know, everywhere in between. So it's that's, hard. You
1: kind of have to be a little bit proficient in all these different industries. But ultimately, they're kind yeah. of sort of drill down Shallow
0: in, and wide. Yeah, shallow I, and wide. Right?
1: That's <laughs> what I appreciate. But I mean, it, in the end, while they come from such different sectors, right, and they're doing such different things, Ultimately, their objectives all kind of start to blend together, right? There's not there's not a huge amount of difference between Ghirardelli Ger- Gerard- Square trying to launch a new Sunday and make sure that people are aware of that, and Oracle trying to make sure that people are aware of database concerns or where their technology is going.
0: Yes and no. I mean, it it sort of there is sort of an approach to consumer-focused branding versus business-to-business Fair. focused branding. Yeah. And what we have here in San Francisco, which we talk about a lot, is the idea that our consumers, our fans, are actually business decision makers too. Right. Um, so the two do overlap quite a bit. They, they're those who want to buy hot fudge Sundays for themselves and for their family, and they're also making tremendous investments in um, technology for their companies. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's really good overlap there. But you mentioned curiosity, and one thing that um, we are doing more and more of that falls into my area is a focus on startup. Companies, because mm-hmm. what we've been able to create here is also an opportunity for startups who see, who come to us trying to solve a challenge that is real or imagined. Al um, Clear is a good example. Mm-hmm. You know, we did a partnership with Clear six or seven years ago um, when they were only doing um, biometric security screenings at airports. Right. And their vision was, hey, this is something that works. You know, as we think about security threats at large venues, how can we provide services to help make an event more secure and also frictionless for um, fans to... Improve to, fan experience. Yeah, to, to enter. And um, we helped them create that even though that wasn't on the sort of radar for other venues. Uh, and now now it is. I mean, now this is... Yeah, yeah, no, You start to see it
1: everywhere. You know, so I didn't
0: realize the Giants were one of the first places they deployed that. We were the that. first. Yeah to do that with Clear, but my point being is that they helped us solve a, a real challenge and there's lots of startups that say, oh, good, I see that you have a challenge with ticketing or concessions or something oh else. God. And what I love is being able to think about that and say, okay, well, that, that does make some sense. How can we help you? And these are companies that don't have big marketing budgets, but there's got to be something in it for us too. So we get the opportunity to earn sweat equity in a community of startups that makes sense for us. So this isn't sort of us saying, okay, well, we there's a, a startup that is solving a problem that has no relevance to what we do here. Our value that we add is being helped them beta, beta test prove their their point with our organization or through our venue. Um, Which takes it
1: so far beyond just simple marketing and of course. like It's partnership in the truest sense of the word. We're going to help you actualize the business model that you're trying to put on and see if a this place that we call home yeah. at the ballpark is a place where you can do that. Clear and I bring that up there.
0: only in your sense of curiosity, because to me, that is what's really cool.
1: Right, because if you stick focused just on, well, you know, these are the signs that we have and the seats that are available, yeah. you're never going to get to that point with that particular piece yeah. of business. Now,
0: prob- problem solving, I mean, and, and that's one of the things, again, I wouldn't be doing this for 30 years if I didn't really enjoy listening to people um, as they talk about their product or service and thinking about how we can help them solve problems. Um, Let's shift a little bit, because there's, um, there's a specific
1: thing I know that's on your desk right now, and I'm interested to see how this is going to come together, which is, uh, for the first time, Major League Baseball is going to allow teams to sell the patch on the uniform, that 4x4 mm-hmm. four four patch, and the Padres, I think, were the first ones to do it with, with Motorola. Um, you hire WME yeah. to come and, and help you land a sleeve partner, and I'm wondering if you can go into the process to, about, like, okay, we well, you know, have an accomplished team here, let's bring in a third party. Um, what's, what was the decision-making process? trying to go outside to help procure that partner, and why you didn't call me to help you do it. <laughs>
0: Back to you being on the B-list. I was just about to get there, Dave. Uh, a great question, and we're super excited about what, you know, baseball is doing to help provide teams opportunities to grow the revenue pie, and I know baseball isn't usually in the sort of leading the pack, sort of coming up second or third and you know but the time is right I mean I think corporate branding on jerseys Mm -hmm. and uniforms and kits is something that is acceptable um, globally and so I'm glad we have this opportunity Um, to get your question about WME um, and an agency in general our first reaction is no we're gonna do this ourselves thanks we got a lot of inquiries from Mm -hmm. agencies saying hey we want to help you both in terms of measuring the value of what a patch can can do and then helping you get out there and sell it. Right. Ultimately, what, what it came down to is yes, we have an outstanding team of people here, um, and I take a lot of pride in being able to do these things internally, um, is the recognition that well, there's a really good chance that our partner for the Jersey Patch is gonna be someone we know, um, either an existing partner mm-hmm. or someone here in the Bay Area, when I say someone, a company here in the Bay Area that's got deep roots yep. and we can talk to them and make it happen. But there's just as much chance as you look at the landscape of how patches have come together in the NBA and elsewhere that it's going to be a company that we've never heard of, um, that you've never heard of. Right, I mean, and who's the we, Lakers partner right now? It's we, South Korean company. Yeah. yeah. So we felt like we needed to get some help and sort of looking at it from whether it's an international company or it's a, uh, a, a domestic company that is making headways in a new space and and looking for this kind of um, brand exposure that our best bet was to have more people out there um, identifying that opportunity.
1: I mean, if you're going to partner with someone, WME is probably about as good as a partner, right? Scale and scope, reach. You know, they've got, it's an international company that can probably reach into just about any of their corporate offices and find two or three possibilities for the giants to find that and land that partner, because this is a pretty significant piece of, uh, revenue that's going to come from this jersey. Do you have expectations on what that's going to bring? A hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. So there's you want you want to reveal that now or do no? Want, no, not even a little bit.
0: It's it's going to be a pretty penny. Just whisper it to me. <laughs> <laughs> so how often? What's that I'm, working? I just think that ADC partners on our jersey would be an excellent fit. It is a
1: fantastic idea. We'll work and on that. I'm going to take that back to the office and workshop it for thirty seconds. Um, What's the working relationship like with WME? Is that, a, is that a weekly kind of thing? Is they is this like, I mean, given the size and importance of the, of the asset, I mean, is
0: this? I yeah, how, how, look, we went with WME, we talked to, I wanna say, six or seven different agencies. All were great mm-hmm. and had different approaches to how we would do this. We felt like WME, to your point, um, gave us the best chance to be successful, not just because of the agency and their history and their reach, but the people and um, good friends uh, who started who building their property business over there, Joe Janiszewski, uh, Lorenzo Schiaro mm-hmm. and uh, Jen Flynn, who are running point on our partnership. We speak, we have a weekly meeting, but we talk a lot more than that. And, right, um,
1: yeah. because this goes back to your point earlier, because it's so visible, I mean, you're essentially talking about a brand being directly associated with your brand in, in probably the most conspicuous way possible mm-hmm. that it's important about the company you keep mm-hmm. right you really have to do some vetting have you put any guidelines about like where you hope or expectations for categories that you're going to be looking at or is it really no i think we're wide open, open?
0: Uh, the universe is open i mean you're right we want to have the right brand fit um yeah, you baseball adc partners interesting we're thinking about it we have to premium on that um, <laughs> Major League Baseball has you know some guidelines as to what yeah, we can yeah. and can't do and categories and, and and how that makes sense, but we're looking for a great fit and we're yeah. looking for the right the right brand that makes sense for the San francisco Giants. Major
1: League Baseball, like you said, is not usually the one on the front end of these kinds of things, but we're seeing a lot of effort from the league to you know, create new revenue for teams, but also change the way the game is perceived. Right, I mean, you know, take away maybe what had been considered stodgy, or, or you know, you got the DHs in both leagues now. You've got runners on second base to begin extra innings. Are you seeing results from some of these experiments, or are you yeah, like I mean, a I buzz look, associated
0: look, with it? these things don't happen because someone you know decides willy nilly that we I, we should try this. They, they get tested. They get no. tested in the in the, in our minor league system. They get vetted through various you know, um, groups that get a chance to, to provide an opinion on it. And they don't all work. What I respect about what's going on is there's a balancing act in baseball. Baseball is a traditional sport. Yeah. And for every person that is saying baseball has to change its rules and get faster and more relevant and have more offense... Just as many people are saying, baseball's baseball, don't change anything. Right. And so whatever we end up doing to make changes, you're gonna make half the people excited or interested and half the people angry. I think the, the rule changes are, are great. I don't agree with all of them, but I really appreciate the desire to improve and to facilitate changing a, a traditional game to meet sort of the next generation of fans. And I think the stuff that we're doing now is does that. Jason Pearl of the San Francisco Giants, thanks for very
1: much for joining me today on this podcast. But before I let you go, um, I've got some lightning round questions for you <gasps> that I'm going to ask. And all I want is quick, first thing that come to your head responses associated with this. And this is, this is a this is a gotcha moment. Oh boy. Are you ready? No, but let's go. Good. That's what I like to hear. All right, ready. First one. Best food item at Oracle Park that isn't garlic fries.
0: Crazy crab sandwich.
1: Best place to relax in the city of San Francisco.
0: To relax in the city of San Francisco. Uh, I'm going to say Fort Funston.
1: Okay. This is a lightning round, so this sort of weird, like, (laughs) introspection that you're doing after I ask the question should stop immediately. (laughs) Okay. I'm not even editing out that pause. Okay. Okay. You originally thought you were going to be a doctor. At the end of a two-week homestand, do you ever wish you were? Never. Never. Never wish you were a doctor. Okay. Best giants memory that doesn't involve winning a World Series. Sitting here having an interview with Dave Almy. Okay. okay. You know, introspection and sarcasm are both. You getting... said to
0: speak <laughs> first thing that came to mind. That's okay. I can't can't have it both ways. Okay. <laughs> Favorite ballpark to visit other than Oracle?
1: Uh, Wrigley Field. What's the one thing you miss about Candlestick Park? Nothing. not even one thing not even like the exposed asbestos I I would say the Curly Greaves press dining room (laughs) Jason Pearl of the San Francisco Giants thanks very much for joining me you bet Dave good to see you thanks for listening to this ADC Partners podcast for more information about ADC Partners please visit our website at adcpartners.com